Hello friends, welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. Well, welcome back, my friends. Good to see you all again. Kind of excited about moving forward with the visualization practice stuff, especially over the next couple weeks. Let's see. So tonight I wanted to do a short talk, just bringing some more information about uh, visualization practice. I'm a really big fan of visualization and man, it's just like, I was thinking it popped into my head actually while we were sitting. <laughs> I was like, oh, visualization practice is kind of like a multivitamin. It's like, it has all of these <clears throat> different applications in the Dharma. We see visualization practice across Buddhist traditions. The Buddha talks about it in terms of mental fabrication, and it's well-researched in psychology. I mean, it's really, if you're not using it already in your practice, I highly recommend taking some of your practice and using visualization as part of your mentally, mental strengthening exercise, right, as part of your samadhi practice. And uh, that'll be clear in just a second why you might choose to do this. It's just, visualization is really amazing. But I thought I'd start just by bringing us back up to speed on some of the ways that we use visualization practice. And then I'm going to give you some of the science behind it so you understand why we're doing it and give you some real life examples. And then we'll take a little break and then I'll do some guided practice, some introductory exercises around how to start practicing with visualization. So one of the things I think I mentioned in the last talk was that visualization can be used in and of itself to cultivate samadhi. So visualization is any imagination in the mind. So any object, emotion, experience that you can imagine can be taken as a meditation object. So a visualization practice can be seen as a concentration practice. So you can visualize any image and take that image as your object. And the other thing about it is that you can add this mental fabrication to other parts of your meditation practice to increase the strength of your concentration. So for example, if you're being mindful of breathing and you're really focused on the first foundation of mindfulness, which is the body. So let's say you're breathing in and breathing out and really focusing on the, uh, the belly, right? The belly and the chest. Well, you can also bring mental fabrication into that experience by imagining the air filling up the body itself beyond the belly and the chest. You can feel it in the belly, but then you can bring a visualization into the mix and imagine the air expanding, feel, filling the body. You can imagine the breath as healing energy, right? So you can add some mental fabrication. You can add some visualization to other practices to strengthen the concentration of that practice. So it can be an additional practice or a practice in and of itself, which is why uh, I really tend to like this one. Another aspect of visualization 
and this is more on the, the psychological end, is that, and I'll talk about this more uh, in a few minutes, but I wanted to remind us that visualization practice, when you use visualization to imagine an experience, so one of the things we visualize in the Dharma is we imagined what it would be like to be an enlightened being or a compassionate being, or we might imagine uh, the Buddha and the qualities that make a Buddha, and we might imagine the enlightenment factors and what we might look like in the world expressing those enlightenment factors. Visualization might include visualizing what it would be like for you to embody certain heart-mind qualities. And what that does is it actually increases self-confidence. And it increases self-confidence because what's happening is the mind is trying something on, right? It's trying on the possibility of something and it's rehearsing an experience so that when you walk out into the world, the mind is more confident that you can be awakened, that you can be more loving, that you can be kind, that you can dot, 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 whatever it was that you were imagining in your head, the mind is much easier, oh, actually I should say it this way, it is much easier having visualized an experience to then embody that experience in the real world. So studies show that visualization practice increases self-confidence. So in the Dharma, translates this into Buddhist language, it is an antidote to the hindrance of doubt, the hindrance of doubt. So we can use visualization practice as a psychological tool to prep us to feel more confident as we move into practices in the actual world, because in a sense, we're rehearsing that practice in the mind. And I'll explain to you why this is so powerful biologically in just a second. A um, couple other things about visualization practice that because visualization practice can be used both with the body, both with breath, uh, both with imagining an object, but also imagining how an emotion feels or imagining how an experience might feel to have an experience. Because visualization touches on all of those human experiences, visualization practice is a great um, a tool to understand karma, right? It's a great tool to understand the connection between thoughts, emotions, awareness, images, and to see how we fabricate experience. So visualization practice can be a great tool to understand causality and conditionality because it touches different parts of the mind and can be added to other practices. So oftentimes exploring karma and conditionality is done within a visualization practice. And the last one I'm going to mention, just for funsies, <laughs> is the fact that um, many of the uh, the cities in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, the supernormal abilities of the yogis, are actually grounded in visualization practices. So in the Tibetan tradition, one of the practices of being able to heat up the body to dry your robe, um, and this is a practice that I found out, I think about a year ago, watching some documentaries, that the ability for meditators to do that was actually because the Tibetan monks were living in very cold climates. So they would wash their robes and then they would put them on and then do visualization practice to heat up their body to dry the fabric. Um, so a super normal ability. And I would also think that because 
uh, modern day dryers take up so much electricity that we should probably also learn this superpower because it's green, right? So in light of climate change, I think we should all get get into this visualization practice of drying our clothes on our bodies rather than putting them in the dryer. Um, but the, the real fun one, which we are not going to go into tonight, unfortunately, is the, the sutras that you see in the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali um, that teach you to levitate and, uh, I don't know, walk through walls and turn invisible. Those kind of practices are also described as visualization. So we won't do those tonight, but maybe another night we'll practice those. But just so you know, um, that's another reason why you would really get into visualization practice if you want to become um, a Jedi, then that is apparently the path to do so. So... Uh, we'll talk about that another time, but that's why we look at um, visualization for these different ways. So I wanted to just bring some, you know how I love brain science, so I just wanted to bring in some brain science tonight because it really fits well with visualization because I really wanted you to see the power of this practice on the brain and why the Buddha would have been really into using visualization as part of uh, Dharma practice. And so the reason visualization is so powerful is that the brain actually, when the brain is thinking or imagining something, it actually activates the same part of the brain that's activated when you're doing the activity in real life. So if you imagine doing something and then you go out and do that thing, the brain really doesn't know the difference between the two. The same parts of the brain are activated. So when you're visualizing doing something, you are literally practicing it. The, the mind is going through the motion in the same way that you would do it in real life. So if you imagine in your mind jumping up and down, the mind is literally activating the neural pathways that you need to jump up and down. And you're literally practicing the exercise in a real biological way before doing it. And so that's why in part visualization is so powerful because visualization is the act of doing something in our minds that we will later be doing in real life and you've already rehearsed it through the visualization and i'll give you an example of how this um, how this works so the more you rehearse something visually in your head the more those neural pathways are reinforced and they become stronger so <laughs> you're also creating memories of the experience so if we all sat here and imagined ourselves jumping up and down and we continued to practice imagining ourselves jumping up and down, we would actually get better at jumping up and down without actually engaging in the activity. It literally strengthens that part of the mind. And I think that's really, I think that's really fascinating, but it's not, I wanted to clarify something. So oftentimes when folks do visualization practices, they can get into the, the, the mindset of thinking that visualization practice is designed to kind of like the world is a, a magic lamp and you rub it and a genie comes out and grants you a wish. So if you just think really hard, like you just imagine being something that you're going to poof, you're going to transform into that thing. That's not what I'm talking about. So I just wanted to clarify that. It seems like every... 15 years, there's a book that comes out that says if you just visualize something, then you'll get rich or you'll get famous or whatever it's going to be. But it is true that the mind visualizes something and strengthens those neural pathways so that when you go out into the world, the mind is actually 
looking for ways to bring that experience into being. So the reason some of those books actually work is that when you practice visualizing an outcome or something you want to do in your life or something you want to improve at, when you go out into the real world, the mind's already rehearsed it. So it's actually going out into the world, looking for resources that it's already practiced in its head. So for example, in the Dharma, if you imagine what it would be like to walk through your day as a kind and generous human being, then when you actually walk out into your day, your brain has actually been primed for that experience and will look for opportunities to bring that into being. Your mind begins to look for ways for that to happen. So it's a little bit different than think and grow rich, which is the self-help version of this. Um, this is more like think and get awakened, but uh, I just wanted to clarify the fact that we're not, it's not like a dream thing where we're like, I'm going to visualize and then it's just going to happen magic. It's not like that kind of thing, but it is actually a brain training, right? You're prepping the mind and priming the nervous system to have something happen after the fact by doing it just in your imagination. The place that we see this quite a bit is sports psychology. There's been lots of research in sports psychology about visualizing things. And believe it or not, a a big transition in sports psychology happened in the Soviet Union in the 1970s where they started training their athletes, particularly gymnasts, to imagine and visualize their full routines before practicing. So they would spend time just visualizing and visualizing and visualizing and that they found that by spending a significant amount of time visualizing, then when the body went to go do the exercise, there was a significant increase in ability even though they hadn't physically practiced the exercise at all. So that's where some of this uh, comes from. And some famous folks who swear by this would be uh, in sports. Again, Tiger Woods started visualizing when he was a teenager playing golf. So he would visualize practicing and he swears by visualization as one of the things that he does as part of practice. So instead of spending all the time actually doing the activity, he visualizes the activity. So this is really common in sports and there's been a lot of studies that show it's highly effective. And two really cool studies that I always like to mention when I talk about visualization practice. One is they've done studies, this is really interesting, they've done studies with weightlifters and if weightlifters spend time visualizing lifting weights, they actually will increase their strength when they go out and lift the weight, even though they've never actually lifted lifted the extra weight. That the, the body actually gains strength by the visualization, which seems like magic, right? So just imagine if you're imagining loving kindness, right? This is where we're going with this. Like, just imagine what's happening when you say, I aspire to be loving, may all beings be free, may I be free from suffering. What is happening in the brain, you can start to see the connection. So one of the studies, though, that I really think is fascinating is um, in basketball, they often do these studies with basketball players because basketball players really do a lot of visualization for practice. And they do studies with basketball players taking a shot on the court, right? Shooting the ball into the basket. And some of the studies have shown this. So they'll divide a group of people into three groups. And the first group physically practices shooting the ball. And that's what they do for their routine. They just practice shooting the ball into the basket. And so that's the first group. 
The second group doesn't physically practice. They just visualize practicing, right? And then the third group does both. They physically practice and they spend time visualizing what they want to do, right? And this is the result, which is to me mind blowing. So group one, if they just practice shooting the shot, they're only gonna see an increase in skill of 7%. If they just practice shooting a shot, they're only gonna see within the context of an experiment like this, 7% increase. The group that does visualization and no physical practice will actually have a 10% increase, having never actually practiced with the ball itself. So if they just sit at home and practice shooting the ball, they're going to have a slight advantage over the people that actually have been shooting, shooting the ball. And then the third group that does both shows a 30% increase in skill after the fact. So you're talking from 7% to 30%. So that's how powerful visualization is on the mind. So it's really a powerful psychological tool that really does work in in the neural pathways to strengthen them to create memory and to create an expertise in something and a success in something before you've even before you've even done it but one thing so here's what i'm thinking you're all thinking oh so i don't have to meditate i can just imagine meditating and then it just like i don't have to really become enlightened i can just fantasize about being enlightened and i'll have a 30 percent chance of awakening between that's not how it works so you can't do that you still have to meditate so there's no this is not cheating you can't cheat you can't pretend to meditate and just think about meditating and call that your meditation practice it's not going to work visualization is it is imagination but it's also reality right it really does train the mind to be able to engage in particular activities. So when we look in the Dharma and we see where in the Dharma we are asked to imagine and visualize, visualize and aspire, we start to say, oh wow, isn't it interesting that the Buddha 3000 years ago found benefit in sitting in practice and imagining what it would be like for all beings to be free from suffering. Isn't it interesting that the Buddha would encourage us to do visualization of body parts? What isn't it interesting that we imagine deities in our meditation practice or that we visualize the breath healing the body? So this is really interesting because when you start looking into Dharma and asking yourself, so what's the Buddha asking us to do and why might this be a Buddhist practice as well as just great for the brain if you're just looking to do something in your in your life? I was reading an article about uh, how significant like theatrical performers like musicians who have elaborate stage stage shows will spend hours visualizing the entire two-hour performance over and over and over again and imagine actually singing the songs and doing the dance moves on top of the actual practice of being on stage which i thought was really fascinating so i want to take us through tonight some visualization practices and show you some uh, basic skills in visualization and also some more formal Dharma versions of, of this. And so what I wanted to do was take, take like just a little break. And what I want you to do, if you can, is grab an object that's nearby that is something you can hold in your hand that can be a meditation object. And you can do this, if you could do two objects, that would be great. If it's just one, that's fine. But if you can grab one object that has some texture to it, 
and has a lot of detail, like has some kind of detail, whether it has a weight to it or you can look at it and see different aspects of it, something that's got some distinctions on it. So that's one thing that can be helpful. And if you can get a second object that has a primary color that's like all red or all blue or says a, like or a scarf that's all pink or purple, like get something that you can hold in your hand that has a strong color. So something that has a lot of detail and something that has a strong color palette. And we're going to use those as part of our visualization practice. So let's take a mindful three or four minutes to get set up with that. And then we'll come down and do some prep work for visualization practice. So we're going to do a initial exercise to get our mind kind of primed. And then we're going to switch over to these objects. I'm going to show you how they're traditionally used in the Dharma. But we're going to do a little playful exercise first to kind of get us going. And so before we, we slide into visualization, let me just remind you of a few things. Um, be curious and be playful with your visualization practice. It's fun. It allows some creativity. It allows some exploration. Just think back to when you were a kid and fantasizing and fantasy and play. It's a playful exercise. It's one of the few really playful exercises, I think. I mean, loving kindness can be playful, I guess, and kind of warm, but, and don't think of it as getting it right, because as I said in the previous talk, it takes a lot of practice to get a visualization online. And in the beginning, sometimes we can't really visualize the objects that we're looking to visualize. This is an imagination exercise too. We wanna to see what it feels like to be imagining. We wanna use all of our sense doors at times. So at times I'll ask you to think of a sound, right? Or think of a smell or feel an emotion, imagine an emotion. So there's a lot to it than just the object of visualization. So don't feel so overwhelmed by thinking you have to have, that you can look at an object and close your eyes and it's gonna be clear as day because that's usually not how, uh, not how it works. So allow yourself just some room to be playful and to be curious. Um, as we, as we go through, as we go through this process. So the first exercise we're going to do is going to be, uh, I'll guide you through some, some visualization and it'll allow you to see how to use the four foundations of mindfulness and how to get visualization basically online. So go ahead and get comfortable and close your eyes. Let's just relax, get comfy. And I'm going to walk you through a little visualization exercise that stimulates the four foundations of mindfulness and gets you in the groove for visualization practice. When we first learn to imagine in our practice, it can be helpful to imagine objects or situations that we're very familiar with. We have a lot of experience knowing the object. So the mind has something from memory that it can grab onto and start with. So in this case, I'm going to invite you to imagine for a moment that you are standing outside your house, your home, that which you call home. Imagine that you're standing outside of your house or apartment wherever you're living currently or staying. And if you're not living there currently, maybe a childhood home, 
a place that you've frequented quite a bit that you know intimately. And just imagine being outside, out front, outside the front door, and you're looking at your house, your home. And you might ask yourself, when I think of the outside of my house, the front of my house, how do I know it's my house and not someone else's? What makes it distinct? And imagine those distinctions. Maybe the windows are placed in a certain part of the house or your door has a particular color. Maybe the porch looks a certain way or you have a garden outside. If you walked up to your house, how would you know it was yours? Imagine that for a moment or two, just playing with the imagery. What does it look like? The images do not have to be clear. What is important is the intention to call up the imagination, to bring imagination online. Very similarly to the four foundations of mindfulness, when we take an image as an object, we begin to imagine some details and we encourage the mind to focus on a particular aspect of the image. So in this case, we might imagine the front door of your house or your apartment building and see if you can just focus on the door itself, the color, the shape, is the door handle wood or metal, some kind of fancy locking mechanism? What is it that makes it your door? And just bring awareness to the image and see if you can keep the image in mind. When I think of my house, my door is blue, and I know that the handle is gold. I can't really see it in this moment, but I know it. I know it to be gold. I know I had to move it at one point, so there's some scratching on the door. I can't see it clearly, but I know it's there in my mind's eye. And I would invite you to bring awareness to the sense of your body standing outside the house now. Imagine that you're really standing there and what that might feel like. You've just come home. 
It's your house. You'll open up the door soon and feel at rest and at ease. But how might that feel? What does it feel like walking up to the door? Is it a cement walkway, cobblestones, grass, dirt? Maybe there's a porch. Imagine what it's like to actually walk up to the door of your house. How does that feel? You've probably done it a bunch of times. And in this case, we're imagining the emotion of coming home. We're imagining the physical body. And you might actually place this scenario in a season. You're coming home and it's summertime or wintertime. What does it feel like to be coming home on a hot summer day? Imagine the environment itself, the weather, the heat on your skin or the cold against your cheeks. Since it's winter this evening, you might imagine the cool, the moisture, the warmth of a sweater or a scarf as you're coming home. And then I would invite you to open the door and walk into your house. If you're in an apartment building, perhaps you'd have to walk down a hallway or take the stairs or elevator but imagine walking into your home and how that feels. And when you walk in, what do you see? What room do you enter and how do you know that it's your house and you haven't accidentally walked into someone else's? What would you actually see when you walked in? Think of the furniture, where things are located, maybe some art on the walls, maybe there's some carpet or tile. When you walk into your home, what do you see? As you look around the room, can you bring into this visualization any colors? What colors of the furniture, the carpet, the walls? When you walk into this home that is yours, what colors are all around you?
Then I would invite you to move into another room. Perhaps it's adjacent and you just walk through a corridor or down a hall. Moving from the entryway, perhaps into the kitchen, the bedroom or bathroom nearby. And what does that room look like? Again, notice the furniture, where things are located, and the colors. Like any meditation practice, the mind will get foggy and fuzzy and wander away. And in this case, when the mind wanders, we just bring it back to the image of the room. We allow our minds to scan the furniture and the shapes and the colors. And we try to hold the image in mind. That's our object of concentration. To strengthen the exercise, I would invite you to just move around the house from room to room, back and forth, and as you enter each room again, notice the furniture, the objects you know are there, any shapes or colors you can recollect. By imagining moving room to room, it keeps the mind interested. It allows for us to use the imagery as an object of stability for the mind. And just enjoy that for a moment or two, moving from room to room bathroom to bedroom, maybe the hallway, a closet, and just notice what the mind can recall. What I would invite you to do is imagine taking a seat in the room in your house where you tend to relax and unwind. Picture yourself sitting down in your favorite piece of furniture, maybe a couch or a sofa or a chair. Imagine sitting down in the room where you like to relax 
maybe drink a cup of tea or stare out a window. If you come home from work or from a long day and you just want to plop yourself down somewhere, where would it be? And imagine yourself walking into that room and taking a load off, just sitting down somewhere comfortable. Imagine what it feels like to sit down in that room. What is the mood? If you like to read or listen to music or just daydream, you might imagine yourself doing that while you're sitting in that room. Perhaps your cat is on your lap or you're playing with your dog, talking to a friend. Just imagine yourself taking some rest there for a moment or two. You might also imagine the perspective when you sit down in that room in your favorite chair, your favorite spot. When you're there, what do you see from that perspective? What part of the room is in your vision? Imagine that for a moment. And once again, before we conclude this exercise, look around the room and again, notice the details of the furniture and the colors. Then take a long, slow, deep breath. And as it's comfortable, we can open our eyes. That is one example of visualization practice. Imagining yourself somewhere and cultivating a sense of details. And similar to other meditation practices, if we're going to do a longer practice, then the goal is to add details to the experience. We might pick an object in the room and really look at it, really imagine it. Perhaps it's the closet where you keep your coats. 
Can you really see the coats? Perhaps you have a bookshelf, and can you imagine the books on the shelf? And part of the practice is cultivating detail, and that strengthens the mind, relaxes the mind. And these visualization practices can go on for quite some time. You might do a full set of visualization training where you're practicing cultivating a sense of imagery. And then you might imagine yourself in that space and then how it feels emotionally, imagining the emotions. If you have a type of activity you like to do, you might imagine being in your house and listening to the sound of your cat purring or a dog barking, birds chirping. You might imagine being in a particular room or location and imagine the weather. And it's just an imagination exercise. And when the mind wanders or pushes back and starts to get foggy again, and in the beginning, you might not see much of anything. You just intuit the imagery, intuit the experience. And over time, like the regular parts of Vipassana practice, clarity begins to arise. And the mind begins to recall and being, it begins to imagine more details. Now, I like that exercise because you can do a lot with it. You can spend 10, 15 minutes walking from room to room and remembering what things look like and adding details and experiences. But some of the more traditional exercises are actually quite simple, but I, I personally find them a little bit more challenging, but we're going to do them today anyway. So the first one that we're going to do is to take the object that we had that you got and take the object that has the most detail not the one that's more primary in color, but take the object that has the detail. This is a classic Buddhist exercise. And I want you to hold it in your hands in a comfortable position to where you can look at it. You could put it, I prefer to do it in my hands because there's contact and I like that experience, but you could put it just in front of you on the desk or in front of you if you want to. I like to hold it though, personally. And take a couple minutes here and I want you to really look at the object. I want you to turn it around and really be with the shape and the form of the object. And notice the details. Every little curve, every little texture. Really look at it with a sense of curiosity and real interest. Maybe you've never seen this object before really take a look at it and have some fun with that discovery of, oh, look, there's a smudge here or a crack here. Really look at it and make that your object of practice for a couple minutes. As you're noticing the object, I would also invite you to notice how it feels to be noticing. As you look at the object, just notice if the mood changes at all. How does it feel to be holding it, to be looking at it? So you notice the object itself and then notice the feeling, the mood of how it feels to be noticing. 
Now what I'm going to invite you to do is put the object down. And then I want you to close your eyes and imagine the object. Recalling the details you just noticed. Recalling the experience of holding the object and noticing it. And this time in your mind's eye, turn the object around and look again, recalling the details. And for a couple moments, consecutive moments, recall one particular detail that you remember noticing and see if you can really bring that into being. You may not be able to bring it clearly in the mind's eye, but the sense of it, the remembrance of it. And use that for two minutes here, just the one detail. Let's open our eyes again. And again, but for a shorter time, look at the object again. I want you to take note of a particular detail, just one detail, and take a look at it. Again, the experience of noting the experience of noticing a detail, texture, color, and form. And then close your eyes again and imagine that detail. And remember that this is a challenging practice. No need to get discouraged. Just play around. Be at ease with it. And let's open our eyes. In traditional Buddhist visualization practice, oftentimes there is an object and we alternate between the object and the visualization back and forth. 
for different periods of time, noticing and then visualizing and then noticing. And over time, the mind is able to capture and imagine more and more of the details. In some of the Tibetan practices, visualizations can be highly detailed. Those sand mandalas, the tankas, all those details are a part of visualization practice. So one other example, take the other object that had a decent color to it. It's just the color will be our focus. This is another ancient Buddhist practice is focusing on color. So I want you to take the object and just notice the color. Really look at the color. What do you notice? It's kind of strange to take color as an object. But just be with it, the hue and the emotional sense of that color as you're looking at it. How does the color make you feel? You might take note if you would look at that color as dark or light, strong or faint. So much detail in the lived experience that goes unnoticed, even in a color. And then again, like we did before, we close our eyes. And this time we bring the color into imagination. This one's tough. <laughs> but see if you can do it. See what happens when the mind tries to imagine that very color in the mind's eye. What I would invite you to do in the classic practice, and at your own pace, you can open your eyes, look at the color, and then close your eyes and start to imagine. And the idea is when you go back and forth from the color to the imagination, that you get this sense of, can I bring more depth and richness to the color in my mind? And you just gently move back and forth between looking at the object, taking in the experience of the color, and then gently closing your eyes and bringing it into imagination.
practicing with colors is called kasina practice. And what monks would do, would they would take a little circle and they would stain it. And they would stick it, basically it's a circle, and they would stick it on the end of a pole and put it out in front of them and they would use the circle, the colored disc, usually white, blue, and red was often used. Uh, red was a big one. And then they'd move back and forth between the color and really get into noticing the depth of the color and the shade and the hue and then closing one's eyes gently and bringing that into the imagination. And that would be a full, <laughs> that would be a full practice. So imagine spending several hours doing casino practice, <laughs> casino practice with a colored disc. So I'm not suggesting you do that anytime soon, but what I am suggesting is you look into this a little bit and remember that visualization is something you can practice if you want to change up your practice a little bit and get the mind stimulated in a particular way, these are some of the basic practices. And the practices move into imagining the factors of awakening, imagining the qualities of the Buddha. You can sit in practice and imagine any of the enlightenment factors and you might bring into being at the level of your emotion well, what is it like to be equanimous? What does equanimity feel like? Can you visualize the experience of walking in the world as an equanimous person, as a generous person or an open-hearted person? So the application goes out into more complex and rich experiences. But the basic practice is learning to look at the world and then close your eyes and practice the, the internal work, right? The imagination. All right, my friends, thanks for playing around with visualization these last couple of weeks. Really appreciate it. It's been fun. Glad we got to talk about it. It's good stuff. We'll keep coming back to this in various ways with our practices. As always, good to spend the evening with you. Have a good rest of your week. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.